Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and today I have an interview with Carla Neggers, author of many popular romantic suspense novels, including her latest novel, available now in hardcover, The Mist. Also, I wanted to let you know if you would like to be a part of the podcast, I would love to hear your feedback. And you can leave a voicemail message at my new Google Voice voicemail line, and that is 413-84-BOOKS. And for those of you who don't want to interpret that, the number is 413-842-6657. Again, that's 413-842-6657. If you have a favorite book that you've read or if there's an author that you would like for me to interview, Or if you just have any general feedback, feel free to leave me a message. And now we have our interview with Carla Neggers, recorded live at Thriller Fest in New York City back in July. Hope you enjoy it. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Um, today on the Reading and Writing Podcast, I'm at Thriller Fest in New York City, and I'm speaking with Carla Neggers, the author of more than 50 novels, correct? Correct. <laughs> Neggers' latest novel, The Mist, has just been published in hardback. Um, I wonder if you can talk about The Mist, and if you remember, first of all, tell us a little bit about it, and then also if you kind of remember where you got the initial idea and kind of where you took it from there. All right. Well, The Mist is about a a woman who has information on a dangerous, corrupt billionaire and has to stop him from exacting revenge on uh, FBI and member of the Boston Police Department. So here, she is not a professional um, law enforcement officer, but she has the skills of a professional spy because that's what her father is. He never really says he is, but... So she's an interesting character in that she's a, a hotelier, and yet she has this information that the law enforcement people don't, don't have, and, and she's um, caught in one of those dilemmas of what does she do now? How does she stop this guy? She's convinced he's going to be violent, and yet he's been set free. And, and so that, that sets up the dilemma of the mist. And it starts actually in an Irish pub on the <laughs> southwest coast of Ireland. And it's very atmospheric. And I could see her as a character. I could see the scene. That's how I started with it. Um, the, the villain, Norman Estabrook, the billionaire, actually shows up in, very briefly, as a minor character in The Angel, which mm-hmm. is out in paperback now. And <clears throat> Lizzie. Um, is not in that book at all. Uh, Will Davenport, the hero of the book, it's you know romantic suspense, best of, best of both worlds, and you get great romance, great suspense plot. <laughs> and uh, um, Will Davenport shows up very briefly um, in The Angel. So I knew him, and I knew that Norman, and I knew Norman was free, and was going to get violent. And but I didn't know Lizzie, but I could see her 
in this in this pub and I could see her walking down the lane giving giving Will who is a professional he's a spy of course British, my first British hero and he's a he's this great spy I could, <laughs> I could actually see him going um, see her giving him the slip so she has to be pretty good doesn't she to give a British spy the slip and then go um, on the, into this uh, ancient Irish stone circle and I could absolutely see her taking on um, a would-be killer in the stone circle getting information about a bomb about to go off in Boston so that's how the story started I had I had a little bit of the characters a little bit of the situation and I could see the heroine without knowing who she was and I just started asking myself questions about well who is she what's her name and when I had the name Lizzie Rush it just kind of all went all went from there and that's it's interesting because I, I don't always know how how I mm -hmm. come up with an idea it, what, what is your writing process like usually do you do you tend to um, as you just mentioned just uh, write to kind of answer those questions for yourself do you ever sit down and, and do you know a detailed outline before you start from page one uh, I was just wondering what your writing process is like um, to a degree it's different with each book and yet there is sort of a framework and I, I've discovered that for better or for worse I'm not I, a detailed outliner. Mm -hmm. um, I, I sometimes think my life would be easier, you know, I always think, oh there's got to be an easier way. <laughs> but, um, well I interviewed Lee Child earlier and he doesn't write from an outline so. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you find there's writers who do and writers who don't sure. and, and when you read the book, us as we're the reader. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any difference. No. It's just it's just how how you do it. So I actually um, will have a an idea of the story, an opening, a scene um, in the middle, um, maybe maybe something about the ending, um, mm -hmm. some 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 sort of sense of the of the overall um, story. Maybe I'll do a synopsis of a page and a half just to give myself an eye, you know, the arc of the thing. But it's it's not carved in stone it's a jumping off point and I have found that I do I'm happier as a writer and that's what it's all about gotta be happy as a writer <laughs> if I sit down and just write about 7,500 pages without censoring myself at all not going back just get a feel for the story and then I, I can go back and I, I do some outlining and asking mm -hmm. questions and the, the mist for instance is there's a lot of plot in it the um, it's you know, it's a hit list story. We have a guy, a you know, bad guy. You know he's out there. He's um, set a bomb off in Boston. He sent a killer to Ireland. Um, he's disappeared. Lizzie has the key. Is is the key to finding him? Um, but it's so there's a lot of plot going on. There's different points of view, and there's a lot to fig there's a lot to figure out. So it was helpful at times to just really sit down and do a timeline. I, I will often do that where I have all these pieces of the story, and I'll just try to get it all on one page mm -hmm. of you know with columns and stuff, just so I can visually see the the pacing, the story arc, how it's all fitting together, and and, and play with that a little bit. So it's like a right brain left brain thing. Sometimes you're just total right brain. Sometimes your total left brain, but it usually usually works best when you use your whole brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, you've had a lot of success with um, publishing, and you've written more than and had more than fifty novels published. I wonder at this point, kind of, what drives you, you know, to the keyboard every day? I love to write. I've always loved to write, and I can't. 
hardly remember when I didn't write. Um, I grew up in the country in western Massachusetts with six brothers and sisters. There were seven of us in nine years, if you can imagine. So it was like a little posse. Wow. Yeah? <laughs> and, uh, and, and there were always chores to be done and whatnot. And my way of getting, getting away and doing my own thing was to climb a tree with a pad and pen and I'd sit up in that tree and spin stories. So I've always done it and I love to do it and I have, I, I'm as excited now about writing as I was when I first started. Great, great. Um, you started your career writing category romances and now you're writing larger novels of romantic suspense. Um, I was wondering if that switch to you was, was natural, was it something that you were always interested in in terms of thrillers and being able to, to to you know, include the romantic subplot. Um, it's always been what I've inter been interested in. Romantic suspense was what I was writing when I was climbing the tree as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, my first, very first book um, that I submitted was romantic suspense. There was no market for it whatsoever, and so <laughs> it's like go oh, go to do straight mystery or straight romance. And the market that you know, when you walk into a bookstore now as a reader, it is completely different than walking into a bookstore when I started out, just really as, as such a young writer, um, and kind of built this whole area of, of, of you know, talk about single title romantic suspense and thrillers and all this stuff that's going on now. It's just so exciting. But um, when I started out, ro series romance was exploding. It was just a time, um, well, it was economic hard times, people wanted happy reads, <laughs> and a lot of women, all the baby boomers were having babies and, you know, just a short, fun read. That's what you had time for. Mm -hmm. um, the books reflected women's lives, going to work, um, taking on issues of, of the times. And so I, I wrote very funny, sexy romances, and I had a great time and learned a lot. And you could see, if you read it, you could see a little bit of suspense creeping into the stories as I, right. as I went along. So that's just always what I've been driven to do. Interesting. Um, I wonder if you kind of remember your experience of getting your first novel published, and and you know if you can just talk about that, you know, what it was like for you. And oh, you know, it was so <laughs> exciting, and it was a, a category romance, actually written under a pseudonym, Amalia James. And I was living in Boston at a time, and my daughter was just a, a toddler. And I remember walking into the bookstore in Harvard Square, of all places, to be going to see a category romance, right, with Harvard. And I had her on my shoulders, and I walked, and I was wearing overalls. So picture that, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> do, you, do you have photographic evidence? <laughs> it's funny that I really, all these years, I can vividly remember. I was just a young writer, and I walked in. And I was so excited to see that book um, on on the shelves, but it was a very you know, it's a very exciting experience. It was very surreal in a way, and I, I love it now. You know, when I walk I'm on book tour, my New England tour going around to Maine and Connecticut and um, um, Boston. New York, Washington, D.C., and meeting readers and talking with readers, and I walk in and see the mist there on the shelves, and it's just as exciting. So I never take anything for granted, and each book is its own thing. I just, you know, I, I love what I do. I'm very, I've been very, very lucky. You're going out and, and meeting readers in some of the bookstores has been, has been very, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, when you stand up in front of a, 
standing room only crowd of readers or or you're in a you know it's a lousy weather and and there's like five readers there it doesn't matter each reader we talk to them and get their story of what they're reading and it's just I love talking books with people so it's just as exciting now as it was then that's great and, and what was the process like for you of, of you know when you initially submitted the, the book of finding an agent do you, do you remember what that was like oh I vividly remember <laughs> yes for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It was, um, I actually met my first agent who was terrific um, through International Women's Writing Guild and they I got her name, New York agent. I'm up in upstate New York at the time, out in the country, and I sent her a query letter. I described my book. I followed all the rules that you're supposed to follow. You know, keep it to a page, say what it's about. She wrote this little postcard back and said, Well, if it's if you think it's really great, go ahead and send it. I okay, I think she wants to see it. So I sent it, <laughs> sent the manuscript off to her, and I remember when um, exactly how much time went on but it was it was it was a while you know eight weeks something like that mm -hmm. and she called and I was making Cornish hens <laughs> I don't know if I've ever made Cornish hens since then it was just one of those coincidences and why I remember I was making Cornish hens I guess maybe because I burned them um, and, and she called and I was so excited I was as excited about getting eight as I was about um, when I got published and, it, and she stood by me through initially it was about a year a year or so mm -hmm. um, of, of rejections and figuring out and it was a case of getting a lot of, of things like well we really like your book but there's no market for it and you still hear you know, new writers coming um, coming to me now like at Thriller Fest and mm -hmm. when we're talking about it they said well they're really driven to write a certain kind of book but they're told there's no market for it and you have to figure out what are you, what are you going to do with that you know you can keep beating your head against the wall or you can try to figure out okay well what who am I as a writer what am I doing what can I learn from this and and, and do something that you you know really enjoy sure sure um, there was recently, within like the last week or two weeks, a story in USA Today. I don't know if you if you saw it or if someone sent you a link to it. Um, and basically, it was I, I thought kind of a, a typical story where they were basically featuring several um, uh, romance writers. Who uh, there was one who had a PhD in, mm -hmm. in classical literature and. Um, I felt there was almost like a tone of like, why would these people be be writing romance? And I, I wonder, like, um, for you, you know, having been in the business this long, does it still frustrate you to kind of have that that kind of perception about uh, romance fiction? Well, I've it's so much better than it used to be. <laughs> it's just so much better, and the books are so much fun, and 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 it's the most popular genre out there so it's hard to be frustrated from that score but I have met so many smart wonderful people whether they have a PhD or whether they didn't graduate from high school who are really uh, gifted writers dedicated writers and have 
um, readers who love their books. So for me, it's more about uh, the writer than it is about their resume. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wonder, I mean, since you, um, uh, you know, you, you are a prolific writer, do you, do you have a lot of time to, to read as much as you would like? And if, Does anybody have <laughs> as much time to read as we would like? Um, and, and if so, like, who, who are some of your favorites that you tend to enjoy reading? Oh, how fun. You know, I've been asked this question a lot lately. Oh, it's funny, yeah. yeah. I think we're just all, it's maybe it's a sign of the times <laughs> or something like that, that we're all wondering, like, okay, who have you read lately? And I think that's the question we always want to know because word of mouth is, is a, such a great way to find new writers. Um, I I read across the board, so I don't, I'm not a doctrinaire mm -hmm. um, genre reader. Some people are, they read one genre and that's it, or even right. one subgenre and that's all they want to read. Maybe yeah. it's all they have time to read, so that's their favorite, so they read their favorite. Sure. But um, I have a, I mean, it runs from like, I love Elizabeth George. I love Nora Roberts. Um, I, I, uh, I'm reading a, f a friend of mine. I just met writes historical regencies. Sophia Nash, um, Mary Blaney. You know, just, just all. I read mm -hmm. all kinds of books. I read a lot of nonfiction. Right. Uh, David right. McCulloch. You know, Got to read John Adams. I read the whole thing every start to finish. <laughs> Great. Um, I wonder if you if you have advice for uh, aspiring writers. I mean, you're here at Thriller, Thriller Fest and you're talking to people who are trying to get their books published. And, and I wonder if you, you know, what kinds of advice you give them. Advice is always a perilous <laughs> thing to, to hand out, isn't it? You know, like, okay, what's your advice? Um, I guess my advice overall is if you really love to write, stick with it, persevere. Um, the business is always changing. Getting bogged down in all the business part can make you really crazy. The part, what we bring to the party as writers is a book. And we make that book the best book we can make it. We write what we want to write. Um, write what is what interests you. Um, but does that mean you don't pay attention to the market? Uh, so for some writers, yes, that's exactly what it means. For other writers, no. They've got to they find it's a yin yang thing. Um, there's a George Bernard Shaw quote. Um, I'm not going to remember the whole thing, but it basically says that all prog you know can be safe. You can be. Do everything you're supposed to do, and then, and you never get anywhere because all progress is made by unreasonable people. Mm -hmm. And so, any and I've heard genres and subgenres declared dead from the very beginning of my career. From romantic suspense, the editor said it will be back when pigs can fly, and it's one of the strongest genres out there because it's dynamic. What they were talking about, really, the editor wasn't wrong, saying don't write the romantic suspense that was out there. You know, it was so popular, say in the '70s right, or the right. early '80s. It's just mm -hmm. right. So you have to retrans, you translate it, and you change the, you change it as a writer. You re what, what are you gonna do? I heard that paranormal. Believe it, paranormal was dead. <laughs> yeah, right. Paranormal was dead. Can you believe everything? Vampires. You know, go look at it. I know it's unbelievable. And it's because the writers were unreasonable and said, "Well, excuse me. All right, so paranormal is." dead. Okay, I won't call it a paranormal, even though it has a vampire in it. I'll say it's uh, 
urban a, fantasy. Yeah, or sexy, <laughs> a sexy romance. Yeah. We just won't mention that little part about the vampire. And then, oh. so, so writers, um, that unreasonableness, and yet at the same time, you don't want to not take good advice when given. Sure, sure. You know? And that sometimes is a craft thing. Uh, if, if they say, oh, okay, you keep hearing the same thing over again, you don't have enough emotion, or you have too many characters. If you're hearing that over and over again, maybe you need to take a look at your book and say, okay, how can I do more emotion? Let me play with that. Let me experiment. Let me see um, what that would feel like as a writer and, and see what happens with it. Right. Um, in, in terms of the business end uh, of, of publishing, there's been a lot of um, discussions about uh, ebooks and, and uh, where the industry is headed in terms of digital media. I wonder if that's something that you've given a lot of thought to, um, and what your what your thoughts are about that. Um, I just had an experience where I did it. Had a, a free download for a week. I think it was about five days, four or five days of The Widow uh, on Amazon, and. It was an ex for the Kindle, and it was mm -hmm. an interesting experience because I had so many readers email me who had never read read any of my books before, and they found they they read The Widow because they could get it for free, right? And loved it, and then went and bought other books. So that's an example of a marketing thing that that could only happen with them instantaneously like that through through sure. on ebooks. So um, it was my first big experience mm -hmm. um, in that. And certainly a lot of my books are available as ebooks. Um, mm -hmm. I hear from readers who will down you know, they they want the book right away. They can they've got their Kindle or their Sony reader or whatever right. it is. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not as familiar with it myself as mm -hmm. a reader. Right. I like to get but I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't figured out what I want because I just haven't had time. Yeah. You know, and I and I love that I'm not going to give up on the printed book at all. I yeah. love the printed <laughs> book, and I hear from a lot of readers who say, "Yeah, they're getting, you know, they're doing a lot of downloads of eBooks. They try writers. They're reading, and they find they're reading more, and they're actually buying more hard copies of books than they ever bought before. It's an interesting phenomenon. So I think it's. Um, we're just at the beginning of it, and we'll see. Sure. We'll see what happens, and whether whether it all, you know, we go completely digital or not. Who knows? Who right. knows? So long as I got good books to read, I'm happy. <laughs> but it, it obviously has lots of potential for for promotional opportunities, like you're saying. I mean, if if you have the chance to to download, you know, a full book by someone that you've never read before, and you love it, then you you know, you've grabbed a reader. Yeah, or you see see how all that will develop. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that. You know, some of it may be okay. It won't be free. It'll be a dollar, or it'll be three right, dollars, right, or exactly. you know, there's all these different different approaches, um, and and different readers are going to have different reactions. My son is a digital media major, so he's really all things digital. He's on everything. I'm telling you, he's got his Twitter and <laughs> Facebook and IM and text messaging and all that, and he actually does. He he's, he. Not interested at all in ebooks. He says that's his time, and he just wants yeah. to unhook. And he lo He's a huge reader. He he reads tons of thrillers. That's great. Yeah, he <laughs> loves to read. That's great. Okay, well, that's about all the questions that I had. So I just wanted to to remind people that your latest novel is The Mist, and it's in um, bookstores now. And what do you have coming up? And also, where can people find you online? All right. Well, I have a website, carlanegris.com. I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook. How do you like that? Still, <laughs> okay. still figuring it out. So, and um, next up is Cold River. 
and that'll be out in, on November 24th. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my latest interview. Also, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, you can subscribe to the feed for the podcast in iTunes. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love for you to leave me a comment in iTunes so that other people can discover the podcast in the iTunes store. It's very simple. You go to the iTunes store and leave a, a review. Thanks again, and we'll be back in two weeks with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. This is Kevin J. Anderson, and whenever I'm not reading or writing, I enjoy listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.